0: Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecator.org or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Well? Uh, Worship was so good this morning, yes? Yes, 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 yes. Jesus is worthy of worship, yes? Yes. I was backstage, I was uh, reminded of a passage in uh, James. James chapter 4, I think. And it just speaks about the condition, the human condition, that God's people find themselves in often. And then James says this little thing that You've probably seen on T-shirts or bumper stickers or coffee mugs, says something like um, that people have not because they've not asked or asked not, if you know King James version, and um, it's running around in my spirit today because I think there are so many things, issues of life, conditions, compartments of our life that we're stressing through, working through, and and I believe God has the answer for most of that, if not all of it, yes? Yes. And um, sometimes we just don't ask God to do something. So I, just so you know, this morning at 8 o'clock, I meet every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock for prayer in this little prayer room. Um, I'll tell you right now, you are invited to join me. If anybody wants to come up here at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's a group of guys that meet in there. If anyone wants to join us, we pray at 8 o'clock. And this morning I prayed for something that I've never prayed for before. I say never, but... um, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you all want to know, and you're nosy. That's, I pray that you wouldn't be so nosy, is really what I prayed. No, but I was, I was praying for something I don't normally pray for, and um, I'm believing God's going to do it, because God is amazing, yeah? Amen. All right, well, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders. Let's get started. So next week, we celebrate Christmas. Yes and amen. Are you ready? ready? Ready or not? Here we go. All of the decorations will hopefully be appreciated and the din of chatter from our guests are going to fill our living rooms and our kitchens and our mouths are going to fill with words that we only use this time of year. Words like mistletoe or Yule log, right? Who says that in Jan- or January or July? Nobody. And, and we're going to, some of you are going to brave uh, yourself by drinking the grossest drink imaginable, something called eggnog. <laughs> Seriously, at what other time of the year do you ever think of drinking uh, something called a nog? We never, we never hear, happy birthday, drink your nog and blow out your candles. <laughs> or, wow, those fireworks were amazing. Is there any nog left? Some of our traditions are just strange, aren't they? We hang stockings by the fireplace. Sure, that probably made sense two centuries ago when wet socks from the day's work had to be dried out to be worn the next day. But what possessed us to start putting gifts in them? Every year at Christmas time, in my stocking, I got Lifesaver candies. It's a thing my mom and dad did for me, and I loved it. But um, think about it. Nothing says Merry Christmas more than eating treats out of symbolic sweaty undergarments. <laughs> <laughs> is that, I don't know why we do what we do. And honestly, an, another strange tradition uh, we have is actually celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 25th. It might surprise some of you that we actually don't know what day of the year that Jesus was born. The Bible offers few clues as to celebrations of Jesus' nativity. And they're not mentioned in any of the biographies in the Bible. So the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them mention his birth day. They mention his birth, but not the day. And the book of Acts, which follows the apostles early as they spread the Gospel of Jesus around their their known world, and it spreads. None of them make mention of the day of Jesus' birth. In fact, there's no biblical record of any of the disciples or, or apostles celebrating the birth of Jesus. And I wonder, there was... Um, The Romans sometimes would celebrate the birth of their Caesars, and they would do a big celebration. I wonder if the Christians just didn't want to have any part of that. But anyways, the date of Jesus' birth is simply not given to us, not even the time of year. The Bible doesn't even tell us for certain if it was in the spring or the fall or the winter. But history tells us that people have been celebrating the the nativity of Jesus' birth On December 25th, as early as the 200 AD or so, 200 years after his life, they're celebrating his birth, which really begs the question, since we don't really know what day he was born, why did we pick, or they, whoever they are, but why did they pick December 25th as the birthday to celebrate? There are several theories. I'll go through these quickly because nobody likes them as much as I do, but I'm nerding out at this point. Um, There are several theories as to why we picked December 25th. There is this idea that uh, early Christians assimilated a pagan holiday, you know, that was celebrated by the pagans, maybe the Roman god, uh, Saturnalia or whatever. And they sort of just said, we're going to take that holiday that the pagans serve or worship, and we're going to make it a Christian holiday and co-opt it and make it our own. And there's that idea. And I'm certain many of you have heard that theory. However, this is interesting to know, it wasn't until the 12th century that we even find the first suggestion, the hint of a suggestion that Jesus' birth was intentionally moved to that day. There's this marginal note in some manuscript writings of a Syriac biblical commentator, blah, 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 that just says this, that the Christians moved Jesus' birthday, the celebration from January 6th, to December 25th to coincide with some pagan holiday thing. And then the 18th and 19th century, the Bible scholars sort of spurred on by this idea. They latched onto this, and they began to claim that early Christians, because they didn't know when he was born, they just moved that date to coincide with the pagan uh, winter solstice festivals for their own purposes, claiming it as time for the Messiah's birth, blah, 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 blah. However, if you look into this, today most scholars do not believe that, that this line of reasoning is in fact true. And partly, I think, is because why would Christians who really loathe the pagan Romans, why would they want anything of theirs? <laughs> why would they take theirs? And why, they, want, they don't have to change the Christianity, right, to, to, to fit their religions or whatever. So it just doesn't make sense. And most scholars don't believe it to be true. There's another uh, theory, and I ran across this one this week. I'd never heard this before, so this is new to me. might be new to you, but it's this idea that there's from nine months from conception is this idea. The theory is based on the death of Jesus. My Siri is talking to me. Shush. Um, This theory is based on the death of Jesus, which many uh, ancient biblical scholars believe Jesus was crucified on March 25th. Now John's gospel, there's some biblical record for this. John's gospel mentions that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, which is part of the Passover feast. And so they have this idea of in the week, when it happened, and they can sort of look back into that calendar year and figure out when it about happened. And they settle on this idea that March 25th was probably the day that Jesus was crucified. Okay, whatever. And then there's this other ancient idea that they believe that prophets of God were all also um, conceived on the day that they died. It's a weird thought, but it's this thought that they have. And so they assume that since Jesus uh, was crucified on March 25th, then he was also conceived on March 25th by the Holy Spirit, right through the power of the Holy Spirit, to little Mary. And then if you just um, add up nine months from March 25th for nine months, April, May, June, July, you guessed it. It lands on what? December 25th. So some idea that maybe that's the reason we celebrate. Another theory is that the date was chosen as December 25th, because it was right around um, the winter solstice, which is the day with the shortest amount of daylight, which is coming up next week. Are you excited? <laughs> Silence. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I Honestly, I look forward to the winter solstice every year because after that, the days start getting longer. Say amen. Yes. amen. <laughs> Dude, we live in Illinois. It's not even that bad. <laughs> how, how weak are we? I'm just saying. I talked to somebody who lives in Florida for school, and she was bemoaning that it's so cold here, and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, you grew up here. This is not bad. <laughs> Anyways, there's a theory that Jesus' uh, death was celebrated on March, or December 25th because it was around the winter solstice, um, and there's the strong belief that um, they chose that day because when Jesus, who is considered the light of the world, they, they wanted to pick the darkest day that they would be experiencing around the winter solstice, the shortest daylight. And so they, they begin to celebrate that. Pastor Josh Porter agrees with this theory and writes this, that we all celebrate the coming of Jesus when, quote, the world is darkest and most cold, when things stop growing, when animals hide themselves away, when all the flowers die, and when the trees become skeletal. When everything is dormant and waiting, Jesus, we celebrate his birth. And to him and many others who like this idea, we just say this, that Jesus is said to have brought the good news and the hope to the world when the world needed it most. And honestly, I like this theory the most because each one of us experience this contrast every holiday season. Some of us count down the days with anticipation, looking forward to the day of Christmas, and others dread the day when all the stores and the restaurants are closed and they have to endure it all alone. Or with loathsome family members. We have to reconcile celebrating this season of joy and peace while we privately wonder how we're going to afford rent and basic essential, um, essentials due to inflation. Like there's just this contrast that we live in. Like uh, the, the prophet Clark Griswold, we really anticipated Clark Griswold really anticipated a bigger bonus, and it just never materialized. And so, so many of us are dragging the remains of our existence from 2023 towards Christmas t- to presumably, presu- presumably celebrate the birth of Christ, our Savior, and yet we can barely get out of bed we're so depressed because life is so hard. And so I, I think this date, December 25th, makes sense. It fits for me. I'm a melancholy individual by nature, so it's great to be reminded that, Jeff, things are going to get better. Presence or no presence, and I wear a size 11 Vans. <laughs> and, um, but it's going to get better. So um, that, that said, if you look to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, Luke gives us a great... Uh, picture of the birth of Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 1 tells us when the, an angel comes to Mary and says she's going to be pregnant, and there's that whole push-pull tit for tat back and forth, and she gets pregnant. But in Luke chapter 2, we have to see the birth narrative of Jesus here. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, we see an angel, who's not named, by the way. It could be Gabriel. We don't know. But an angel comes at night into a field to some people. Let me read here Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, in the same region, there were shepherds, out in a field, keeping watch over their flock, their sheep or goats or whatever, at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now I take note that they were in the field um, keeping watch over their flock by night. This ties into this theme that in the darkest time, the announcement, the pronouncement that Christ, the Lord has come, comes in the middle of night in the darkest time. And that, I think, can play into some of our emotions and our thoughts about that. And Luke describes here the shepherd's reaction to this encounter with this ancient, supernatural, spiritual being that we call an angel, which just means a messenger from God. Luke says that they were filled with great fear. This is a common reaction that we see all throughout the Bible when people encounter these messengers from God. Everyone is troubled with fear. Nine months ago, when an angel Gabriel came to Mary, she was terrified. He had to remind her to not be afraid, Mary. Whatever angels look like, they must be awe-inspiring and fearful to cause such a reaction in people when they encounter them. But, and this is what I want to push to, there's possibly a deeper understanding that Luke, the gospel writer, is drawing our attention to in this encounter You see, these Israelite shepherds were expressing a deeper fear hidden in the depths of their ancestral identities. And to better understand this, we turn to the pages of history and read the words from the prophet named Isaiah, written about 600 years before this event takes place. And Isaiah describes a moment in Israel's history that's rife with struggle and turmoil. God's people for centuries have vacillated between serving God and honoring him with their worship to then turn away from him as they fell to the trappings of their culture and they begin to worship false gods. And being true to his promises, God used a nation called Babylon to sweep waves of judgment over them. Their borders were overrun, their capital city was seized, and their temple, the place of God's dwelling among them, was destroyed, and its irreplaceable furnishings were looted and hauled away. Those still alive were hauled away into exile and scattered throughout the vast Babylonian empire to be assimilated further into a pagan and wicked culture. And as with all great nations of the earth, say it with me, all great nations of the earth, the Babylonian Empire eventually fell. It fell to an even greater kingdom, the the kingdom of Persia, and Cyrus the Great overran the capital city of Babylon, and the reign of the Babylonians was over. But what of these Israelite people that had been carried off into captivity? What will become of them? Well, King Cyrus had no issue with this small group of Palestinian people, so he decreed that they could all return back to their Nation or back to their cities and rebuild them. And he even gave them back the temple artifacts that he inherited from the Babylonians. And so many of them moved back to this place of in Palestine, this promised land that had been promised to their forefather Abraham, and began to rebuild the city. After 70 years of exile, their hearts are now filled with hope and a desire to return to the roots. They begin to rebuild, but soon strife and struggle from infighting and the difficulties of the task at hand turned their hopefulness to despair and Isaiah writes these words Isaiah 64 600 years before Jesus the people of God in despair say these he says this verse 1 64 verse 1 oh that God that you would burst from the heavens and that you would come down and how the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn And water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. And when you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. Oh, how the mountains quaked when you came before. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you. The one who works for those who wait for him. So first, in this prophecy from Isaiah, we see the people declaring the greatness of God. If, if he were only to rend back the curtain of heaven and come down, the very mountains would shiver. That his presence, like flames... Boiling water cannot be contained or held, and the enemies of God would soon learn why he is worshipped as supreme and mighty. Should anyone dare to open the history scrolls, they would see that whenever God came before, he did amazing works for God's people. No God, no deity exalted among among the nations of the earth is as great as you are, they say, O God. And such true statements about God, words of worship, those words reach the heavens. And we agree with those words. Say amen. Yes, no one is greater than you. We said it this morning. We'll continue to say it. As long as this church exists and these people, you guys keep coming, we will declare that. Yes, God is worthy of worship. And then, as a twist here, we hear their exalted praise melt into lament. Keep reading verse 5. It says, You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow your godly ways, and then wait for it. But you, God, have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. We are all infected and impure with sin, and when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind, and yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for, for mercy. Therefore, God, you have turned away from us and you turned us over to our sins. Verse eight, and yet, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay, you are the potter and we are all formed by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Here they describe a relationship with God in terse words. He is angry with them for sure, not because of who they are, but because of what they do. They are, in fact, sinners, all of them infected and impure with sin. And yet they try to hide this reality by doing religious works and righteous deeds, even though there is no desire to do them. They only try to appear holy so God will see. And yet their hearts are filled with unclean things. And this does not work. Their appearance is still filthy. So when God looks at them, he turns his back and walks away, leaving them to wallow in their filth. And yet, they remind God that he is their father, he can mold them into the people that he wants them to be. He made them from the dust of the earth in the beginning. And they know that God was the artist who shaped them. And so they beg, they plead, please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us and see that we are in fact your people, the ones, the ones that you made, oh God. And so we go back to Luke's story. If God has come to his people, as we sang earlier, Emmanuel, God with us, then God's people should all quake. The shepherds even seemed to understand this as expressed in their fear. Shepherds were considered lowly and dirty people. They slept in the fields with their animals. They were uneducated and mostly immoral. They couldn't be trusted to testify in a court of law, and they were forbidden to enter the temple for worship. And now God has come to them with his angel. And they are like rats caught in a snare waiting to be dispatched like filthy vermin. If anyone is far away from God and goodness, it is the shepherd, shepherds. And they were terrified. Terrified. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth called the good news of Jesus' birth the great disturbance. (laughs) Oh, I love it. If the thought of Jesus coming down into your life, taking over your life, lording over your life scares you, you are not the first and you are not crazy. These shepherds were guarding their flocks for the umpteenth night in a row, the way their forefathers had. And they've done it for generation, every, generations. Everything is under control, predictable, routine, explainable. And then, dun dun dun, an angel of the Lord shows up and the Lord shone around them. They must have thought, so this is what it's like to die. <laughs> but what does the angel say? The first thing the angel says is, do not fear. Look at verse 10, and the angel says to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. He says, don't be afraid, I have a message for you. And it is good news. God has not turned his back on his people to unsee their sins. Say hallelujah, amen. Yes, he has. Rather, he has turned around and he has faced their sins entirely. And not only that, but he has sent his son to the earth in the form of a man to save them from their sinful condition. The birth of Jesus was not an ordinary birth of an ordinary man. It was the birth of the most unique person in history. The birth of Jesus Christ was the incarnation of God himself. In other words, the very God became a man. The significance of this is profound and we will take us an eternity to fully appreciate the conception and the birth of Jesus Christ was the mingling of God with humanity. Such a thing has never occurred before or since. And when this happened, the eternal God stepped out of eternity into time to become a man of flesh and of blood. Jesus Christ was indeed a genuine man, but at the same time, he was God. He is both fully God and he's both fully man. And this is good news for us. And this is good news for us because of what it means for us. Firstly, to be a genuine Christian, we must believe that Jesus Christ is more than a holy man, more than a prophet, more than a great moral teacher, or even just a martyr from history. Rather, Jesus is the complete, eternal God come in the flesh. And the baby that the angel says was born in Bethlehem will grow to be a man, and that man will eventually give his life as a sacrifice to save God's people from their sinful condition. And so, at Christmas time, with weird words and strange drinks <laughs> and overspending, welcome to America, we remember that God has done something for his people. People like you, people like me. God did not save us by somehow reaching down from the heavens in an objective and distant way. The holy and unapproachable God himself became an approachable, contactable, knowable man. What a mysterious and yet wondrous fact. Our God became a man, experiencing the human condition by being tempted to evil and wickedness, and yet Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life. And eventually... He went in his body of flesh and blood to die on the cross for us. Through his incarnation, through the celebration of Jesus' birth, God was expressed in a man, Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger and fully expressed the full riches of God to mankind. God's love, his mercy, his righteousness, his holiness, his compassion, and his glory are still expressed in the humanity of Christ. And so we, by believing into the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved. Saved from the stronghold of sin in our lives. Saved to become new creatures made without a sinful condition ruling over us. Saved to do great works and to worship God. This is my favorite thing. To worship him unashamed and unafraid. got to be honest with you, without Jesus, like if, if, if the powerful creator of the universe stepped near us, we would vaporize in his presence. We, we, we often treat him far too familiar to us. The word God just rolls off our tongue because it's on our paper money. And we don't we don't even know who we're talking about. Dismiss the idea of who he is. Use his son's name as a curse word when we can't find the ten millimeter socket. <laughs> he's more than that. And the angel says to be to be not afraid. That God has not come to kill you, but to save you. He's come to save you. And this is good news and should bring great joy. So if you guys would just for a moment, just smile. Tell your faces that you're in a good mood. (laughs) Because I can't see it from here. (laughs) It's awesome. It's Christmas. And he says this good news of great joy is for, for who? It's for all the people. And the angel pointedly notes that this announcement is for all the people. God here seems to be highlighting the fact, that fact by speaking first to common shepherds, right? He doesn't come to kings first. He doesn't go to the scholars first. The Jewish leaders doesn't go to the temple priests. He goes to these lowly shepherds out in the field. And those are the world that, um, those people in the world that, that the world seems to value least are often those whom God speaks to first. Oh, that's so good. There's a, passage in the Bible talks about God using um, the weak things to confound the wise. And it's like God does this stuff backwards sometimes. So anyways, in eight days from this moment, Jesus is going to go to the temple. He'll be circumcised and he'll be presented to a prophet named Simeon. You can read about this later in Luke. But just Simeon will note that Christ's ministry is going to extend beyond even the nation of Israel. It's going to go to the entire world. So if you're looking around in the room, this is us. This is who Christ came for. This is us. And the statement here suggests that Jesus' birth is seen as a universal event with significance for all people. This is a message of inclusivity in Christ Jesus. Would you agree? Yes. And it's important for humanity to understand that. The message of Jesus is intended for everyone. It transcends boundaries and it offers rather a spiritual and a moral impact on a global scale. So, After Jesus' death and resurrection, this good news or gospel message of Jesus and his sacrifice, it travels outside the nation of of Israel into other parts of the world. It sweeps through Asia Minor, makes its way into Europe through Greece and Macedonia, and during North Africa through Egypt, and even during the Renaissance as it sweeps across Europe, it crosses a, a little ocean we like to call the Atlantic. It makes its way into a new world called America. That this message started on this night when the angels came and declared that unto you today a child has been born, Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. We asked in the video, if you could give the world one gift, what would it be? Um, honestly, I think Freud would love that question because um, it probably tells a lot about a person. When uh, Josh uh, responded, I'd like to have a superpower, I'm like, yeah, I bet Freud would have something to say about that. <laughs> um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? My, I guess I would choose invisibility as an introvert. Standing right here makes me very uncomfortable. I would love to be invisible, and um, maybe some of you would too. But if you could give the gift one world, what would it be? It tells a lot about a person when they answer what matters to them most. And when we look, when we look to the gift that God gave, it tells us a lot about him too. Like if (laughs) you can imagine pressing, booking across the street and throwing a microphone in God's face, if you could give the, if you give the world one thing, what would it be? Like, and this is the answer. It is his son, Jesus, because it is everything they could possibly ever need. Like through faith in him, you can be reborn and the clutches of sin no longer bind you. Shackles are loosed off of you and, if you could do what, it just says so much and it speaks to his compassion and his love and his mercy, his unconditional love is expressed in this one gift. God is a God of love. There's no limit to his willingness. If you, if you don't understand that, look to this, this celebration of his birth. His son given away from heaven to the earth to die. He gave his only son for us. Have you received this gift? There's the question. God's given it. And like every gift has to be received. To be received, you have to accept the gift of Jesus. And if you've never done so, I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus. To accept the gift that he has. In fact, this is something that I hardly ever do here at Renaissance. I hardly ever, listen, if you come for a while, you know this is strange. But I said earlier, I was asking the Lord for something this morning, and you wondered what it was because you're nosy. Remember? 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 The nosy part? Okay. (laughs) I believe God wants to um, save some people today. I just believe he does. I've asked him for three three. I don't know who you are. I don't care. (laughs) But I I said, Lord, I believe three people are going to hear this message about your son, Jesus, and the great gift. And they're going to say, I want to receive Jesus. So in that vein, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. Listen, I ain't no one peeking around. I'm the only one peeking. I'm looking. I'm looking. I can see you. Okay. Just so you know, I'm peeking. But if you're here in this room and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray something, and you can just, you can pray it in your mind, under your breath, pray it from your heart, and just, if these words are yours, just, just say, like, in your mind, amen. Yes, that's, yes, Lord, I agree with that. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, in this season of Christmas filled with joy and of love, I recognize you now as the Savior who has come to redeem the world. And so I repent of my sins and, my, and I open up my heart to you. Be born in me today, God. Be my Lord, be my Savior. And God, give me the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower me to live a new life for you. God, I thank you for this gift and I receive it. Just real quick before anybody opens their eyes, I'd just like to see a couple hands. If you prayed that for the first time, would you just lift your hand so I can see it? Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, that's it. Heads up. Now, for the rest of us, Welcome. By the way, those of you that raise your hands, you're so awesome. You're awesome, dude. I prayed for three. There was more than three. A lot more than three. Whatever. God's amazing. I'm just saying. God is amazing. He's amazing. Now, for those of us who are already Christians, we can use this Christmas season to remember and to reflect on several truths that we already know. So let's look at a couple things that we can do. I'm almost finished, then we can leave. Number one, let's take a moment during this Christmas time to just just reflect on this profound significance of Jesus' birth as the incarnation of God himself. That our sins were not too great to keep him away, but he saw them and he came to us anyways. Think about that opening gifts and the chatter of friends and family. Think about God coming to earth. Number two, we can embrace this contrast of light and darkness. We can find hope and joy in the symbolism of Jesus being born during the darkest time of the year. And let us draw strength from that idea that the light of the world arrived precisely when the world needed it most. I know that's true in my life. That he came to my life precisely when I needed him the most. And he still does so for so many people. Number three, I don't have many of these. We can share this message. We can remind ourselves that the message of Jesus is for everyone. The angels told the shepherds that this this good news is for all people. We can embrace this idea that good news transcends boundaries of race, nationality, sexuality, etc. And it reaches into the lives of every person. Say amen. And so consider how we can embody this inclusivity and share this universal message to those around us. Everyone needs Jesus. Yes, Yes. everyone needs Jesus. Number four, we can experience this great disturbance in our lives. I love this. We can acknowledge that encountering Jesus can be problematic, I'm making up my own words here, but it can be problems for us. It means that you're no longer in the driver's seat. Praise Praise the Lord. God loves you so much, he won't let you be in charge anymore. He's like, hold my beer, I'll take it from here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> He's like, y'all done messed it up a lot, so I got this. We praise him for that. And I know, listen, especially for those of you that are, like, beginning to walk this thing called faith in, in Christ and, you know, a new way of, of Christian living, there is a rub There's just a rub between the way God wants you to live now and he's put his Holy Spirit inside of you and the very things that you did, I could say maybe a week ago, that was so much fun and enjoyable, will lose its luster and shine. That your heart will no longer be drawn to some of those things, hallelujah, because God is doing something unique and profound in you. But there'll be a rub when you'll have to say no when you used to say yes and say yes when you used to say no, and it's just this new way of living. But I'm telling you, every time you choose the way of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every time you say yes to that, the new spiritual man that is inside of you grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And there'll come a day when chains cannot bind you, when addictions loose themselves because it has no claim over you. Dude, it's real. I could only, oh, if, you, if I had but a moment to tell you how real it is, it's real. This is not psychobabble talk. This is not the self-help book shelf at the bookstore. This is God incarnate come. The Holy Spirit of God indwelling his people. It is not try harder, do better. It is change from the inside out that only God can produce because he is the potter and we are the clay. And we can express, last one, gratitude for God's unconditional love. We can just thank him for what he's done. I think we've already done that this morning through our worship and through our praise. But we can continue to do that as Jess encouraged us to do, not just on Sunday mornings, but to do every day. Yes? Yes? Yes. Okay. Skipping, skipping. You're welcome. <laughs> I got a whole lot more words. But I, um, I think I said enough. Now let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, as we now approach the celebration of Christmas, ready or not, here we come. We gather now in gratitude. We thank you for your profound gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reminder that in the darkest moments moments rather of our lives, the light of the world has come to bring us hope, to bring us joy. May we like the shepherds overcome our fears Embrace the great disturbance that encountering Jesus brings, and let this Christmas season be a time of deep reflection on the true meaning of Christ's birth. May it be an understanding of the inclusive message for all people and and to an experience of the transformative love and compassion that you have lavished upon your people. So in the midst of our celebrations, God, may we extend that love and compassion to others and recognize the universal significance of Jesus' birth. Help us, God, to be agents of peace and also to be bearers of your unconditional love to those around us. As we exchange gifts, God, and we share in the joy of the season, let our hearts overflow with gratitude because of your indescribable and wonderful gift, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the church at homepage at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.